Welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Steve March. I'm a huge fan of Steve's approach to coaching, Alethea. Steve's been on the podcast a couple of times now. Today, we're going to be in a sense-making conversation. We're going to talk about the shift that we're going through, these transitionary times of uncertainty. And we'll speak about it through the lens of what Steve's calling solid identities and fluid differences. Solid identities is where identity is primary. There's a drive towards self-transcendence to be a better me, self-improvement. And this transition into fluid differences where differences become primary and central. And the consequences of that that we'll speak about today, which are quite profound, this depth of fluid differences where we have a tendency towards self-subsendence to become and feel more of ourselves towards self-unfoldment over self-improvement. Inside of that, we will be talking about Steve's approach to coaching, which I really appreciate. As I mentioned, this self-unfolding approach rather than the self-improvement approach, which I feel is so pertinent for our times, where instead of trying to close the gap from where we are now to some ideal future place we we sense into where we are right now in a way that our experience begins to unfold and reveal deeper depths and deeper wholeness and new structure emerges out of these depths which becomes our way of being it's a practice which is really attuned towards uncertainty and complexity which i think our clients are they are complex so We'll speak about that inside this lens of solid identities and fluid differences. So just to say before we dive in, if you want to know more about Coaches Rising, we have our own online training programs for coaches, which are very highly regarded. So you can find out more by heading to coachesrising.com. You can also join our mailing list there by scrolling down the homepage, putting your name in the sign-up box there, and you'll stay in the loop about things which are not this podcast. So... Yeah, let's dive in. Here is the podcast, The Conversation with Steve March. All right, Steve. So here we are again. And um, I say again because we've done a few conversations and coaching sessions and podcasts over the years. And, you know, it's been a real delight. So how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. It's, it's uh, I was sharing with you earlier, my wife and I go on vacation tomorrow. So it seems like that's contextualizing everything today. I'm <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to it. I'm ready. And that might be part of what we're exploring today. You know, these <laughs> events that contextualize our experience moment to moment. Um, well, let, yeah, we've talked before on the podcast about your approach to coaching, which I'm a huge fan of and trained in and uh, really recommend to people. And so we'll, we'll, we'll explore that today. But I think, starting in a different place could be interesting, which is talking about the cultural shift that we're going through right now. I've actually wanted to bring this in on the podcast and I have done with other people as well, because of course we're we're coaching inside of this cultural shift right now. And I think if people are not feeling some kind of cultural shift, then good for them. <laughs> but I certainly I am and most people I know are. So so yeah, what what is happening inside of this cultural shift is highly relevant to us as coaches, I think. So, and 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 I've been really fascinated because you've got a really interesting take on this for me, which I think illuminates a lot of things. So, so let's unpack 
that today. And I think maybe the first question I ask is just, yeah, how are you making sense of this shift we're going through right now? Yeah. So, well, I think it's a developmental shift. First off, I think that we ha- we're in a we're in a, a a a moment of cultural development. And the thing to know about that is that these the the develop, cultural development doesn't happen in on mass. It's not like everyone in the culture shifts at once into a new a new way of being or a new a new level of development. That it's best to look at the culture that exists as stratified. And the the idea behind that is that if we look at any kind of a developmental model that might help us to give language to some of these these developmental shifts, what we're going to see is that a certain segment of the population is is in one kind of culture at at a certain kind of development and another segment is in another kind. And it's even more complex than that because we might find ourselves as individuals even in certain contexts um, engaging a certain way of being at a certain level of development. And then yet we shift into other contexts and we find ourselves engaging um, something else. So the actual situation is, is always the case with development is much more complex than any of these models can actually um, uh, reveal to us. And so we want to make sure that we don't use the models in too much of a you know, a, a linear kind of way. And yet at the same time, it's really helpful to have these distinctions between different levels of development uh, because it gives us language to begin to uh, to feel around and explore some of what's unfolding. And for us as coaches, as you're pointing to, our clients are in the middle of this. Uh, we're in the middle of this. Anytime there's this cultural shift that's happening, old ways of being, old strategies and things that we've known to do are becoming obsoleted. They're breaking down. They're not working like they used to. You know, uh, those old winning strategies, if we can use that term, you know, they stop working. And it's a real call for the development of something new. Um, And what's interesting, I think, is we're at a place where it's almost like there isn't a something new within easy reach to uh, to shift into. It's almost like what where we are is moving from something that had some definition to it to now something that feels way more fluid and way more. Uh, you know, sometimes I call it the shifting sands. There's something that's that's more dynamic that's happening in the world, and so to begin to give a little bit of language to this. Uh, as you know, in in Aletheia, uh, we look at development in terms of seven different phases of development, and uh, and in particular, each one of those phases of development is described in terms of how we inhabit our depth, which which is something we can come back to here in a moment. And there are two phases in particular that we're on the cusp of culturally. And one is the phase of, I call it the phase of solid identities, where there is this sense of stability. And I think we've been as a culture, a kind of global culture, for the most part in that for for a long time, hundreds of years, maybe arguably longer than that even. And now we're moving into something that I call the phase of fluid differences. And, um, And there's a real big shift that's happening between those things. And I think that's 
one of the things we want to explore in our conversation. And I'd love to have this be uh, a conversation between us, a, a kind of mutual exploration of like, when we start to play with some of these distinctions and just start to notice them, like, what are the, what are the ramifications for our clients? What are the ramifications for us as coaches? Is there a call for coaching in a different way? These are some of the questions I'm sitting in right now. You know, how does it, how might even our ways of coaching that have worked for decades now suddenly not be working in the same way? How do our, what, what assumptions might be broken by this, by this shift? These are all big questions. And I have some answers to some of this stuff, but I think to be fair, what, what's really happening here is the place to be is in the question. The place to be is beginning to feel around inside of this. There's something about being in the question and feeling around inside of this that's actually what's being called for, right? So this is this is some of the way I'm orienting to this. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that because personally, I've noticed that I'm living inside the question in a way that's very different than it was a few years back where, you know, I heard that phrase even like living in, living in the question itself, you know, and it was always a really appealing idea and something that, that did happen too, you know, but it, certain, it seemed to be happening in a more stable kind of secure world, you know, so mm-hmm. I could live inside the question and, and then go about my life. And it feels like now it's like I'm living inside several questions at once, you know, and there's not a not no place to like find that certainty that that I, that I used to have and so living inside the question now is quite disturbing in a way and enlivening in other ways but um it feels yeah so it touches me when you share that there's something something very true to me a couple of things that i'm i'm there's a couple of interesting threads here one of them is you're you're right that there's like there was a sort of certain source of certainty, you know, and in, in solid identities, you know, we can, we can feel a certain certainty, like I am this, I am that you are this, you are that there are, if we look societally, there are institutions, there are things that have a certain stability and therefore give us the feeling of, of certainty of, of security even. And, you know, what's been happening and certainly COVID was a big accelerator, I think, um, but but it didn't start with COVID and it's not going to end with COVID, um, is that there is a kind of destabilizing that's beginning to happen to those things. And we're starting to experience that things are not quite so solid. Instead, they're much more fluid. You know, one of my um, favorite philosophers on this is uh, Zygmunt Bauman, who wrote a whole series of books on what he called liquid times. And he was really talking about that that this this sense of fluidity, the sense of 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 liquid uh, of a liquid kind of way of being, was really what he saw coming after modernism and postmodernism, and that's that's of course what is predicted by the by Aletheia metapsychology and the theory of development being a, a, an increasing inhabitation of our depth, right. So there's so then the big question is is that is that the sources of certainty that we've depended upon aren't providing that certainty anymore, and so is there another source of certainty that we need to start to open up into and start to integrate? 
That's an interesting question here. Or, or do we give up on certainty, right, altogether? I happen to think it's not that we give up on certainty, but that we don't insist upon the old kinds of certainties, the old, the old sources of certainty, this certain sense of solidity and institution and different things like that, but that there is yet a different, deeper source of certainty that we can actually develop and access and learn to embody that helps us navigate these fluid and dynamic and shifting sands kinds of times. And that I think is exactly what our job for, as coaches is, is to actually meet our clients in the midst of this complexity and this dynamism, in the midst of feeling like the old ways that they had that were giving them a sense of certainty are not working anymore, and actually help them to move through and move deeper into landing into a deeper source of groundedness, of, um, of security, of certainty, etc. So this developmental shift can be understood and framed in those terms. Mm. It might help to, we could explore what that new kind of certainty we land inside of might be like. I think people must be curious about that. I certainly am myself. And perhaps in doing so, contrasting a little more the difference between this kind of, um, this level of solid identity and, and fluid differences on the individual and collective level, and, and just to throw in the mix here, and I, I, maybe this speaks to like what opens up in this level of fluid differences, but you know, I've been reading people again, like David Snowden again recently came out and was challenging this notion of like linear developmental um, stage-like theories. You know, Nora right. Bateson too recently has been, been really on at this. And um, I th- maybe this speaks to, you know, the, this like this feel, this level of, solid identity you know this tendency inside of us to want to categorize and you know map things out and and define them in this linear way you know the incremental steps that we can take from one place to another to to improve ourselves to get to a better place Mm. and and so i just wanted to throw that in the mix because yeah how do you how do you see all that basically let's see where you take us well, yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I have a lot of agreement with, with what Snowden is saying and, and what Nora Bateson are pointing to. I think that, that there are ways that we use, or I would really say misuse, developmental models in, in a kind of colonizing way when we, when we um, assess people against them. So I'm not a fan of doing that inside of coaching. Um, I'm, instead, I shift into relating to people in real time in, uh, with a, a different kind of ontology, um, one that's rather rather than being descriptive of development is generative of development, and that's an ontology of depth. So when we relate to somebody in a way, um, seeing those affordances and openings and opportunities for unfolding more and more of who we are and more and more of our depth, what we're doing is actually not um, this kind of self-transcending, self-improving, um, strategy. We're not doing that. And that strategy, that self-improvement, self-transcending kind of strategy is very much something that, that worked and um, was dominant in the phase of solid identities. But there's a different thing that's being called for in this cultural shift, which is, you know, some, some philosophers have called it 
uh, a tendency towards self-subsendence. This is uh, Timothy Morton and Dominic Boyer's term. Um, this idea that rather than becoming a better version of ourselves uh, or a better self, what we do is instead we unfold more and more of who we already are, right? So the idea isn't isn't this self-transcending, self-improving, always bettering, always becoming that. It's instead to unfold more of actually our nature of who we already are, standing here, being here right now. So there's this is I think one of the big shifts, and I mean you know from from your studies in uh, you know in Aletheia that that is the big shift that we're working with from self-improvement to self-unfolding. And I see that the self-unfolding approach to coaching is actually being called for more and more in these times because of this shift from solid identities into fluid differences. And what it does is it affords a pathway to land into a deeper source of certainty, right? That if we keep trying to, to, um, approach development, even in the midst of a cultural uh, uh, shift, um, developmental shift, we keep trying to approach that in a self-transcending kind of way. There's a way in which we're shackling ourselves into a particular view, a particular level of development, and not actually transcending it. So it's interesting, you know, um, so in, you know, in the kind of coaching that I do, I'd never do a developmental assessment. Um, you know, the whole point of describing development in that way and then trying to take on the burden um, uh, of actually designing development. You know, like I, as a coach, I'm going to design a coaching program that's going to develop the client. All of that is, is, uh, is self-improvement strategy, self-transcending strategy. All of that is solid identities. Um, yet all of that is being undermined by what's unfolding in the world right now. So there's this shift that needs to happen in how we work with our clients um, uh, that is still developmental, but is not is not taking on uh, it's not taking on a kind of uh, agency which says I can develop myself or I can develop my client, right? Uh, stepping into that is um, is is uh, is really problematic, and I think in a way this view of fluid differences is a view of is a view in which we see the world in these kind of nonlinear nonlinear ways so we see the world in complex terms and we can see when we open up to that just the limitations of these kind of strategies of of assessing and designing development plans and this more problem solving self improvement style we see the limitation of that when we do that does that mean though that developmental models are to be thrown out the door. I say no, because the model itself still gives us a whole range of developmental distinctions and language, and it develops a certain kind of sensitivity to understand and to work with that. And I argue that they have more utility when we look at, let's say, um, a collection of people, a culture, an organization, and we can say, broadly speaking, that here are some of the developmental challenges that are happening or the developmental shifts that are happening for this culture, for this organization. And to have those developmental distinctions actually is helpful to articulate and to understand a little bit about where we are right now as a, as a collection, as a team, as an organization, as a culture. 
So the developmental models, those descriptions have utility, but for me, they have more utility culturally when it comes time to working with an individual one-on-one for me, they have less utility there. And um, so what do you make of that? Yeah. Good question. Good question. Um, Well, just to pick up on something you said a bit earlier, for sure, I've noticed in myself that there's a kind of um, grounding and um, a confidence that can come. And actually, you know, the word I would use with you, Steve, is relief. <laughs> you know, hmm. uh, when when uh, when I moved away from that kind of closing the gap style hmm. structural coaching, you know, which is then you know as you've articulated before to me like it feels like you you need to like know everything about the client all the developmental theories and if you can just map it out well enough you can chart this path forward but it always felt like it had a kind of tension inside of it you know like it was there was um you know again i'm cautious to use this word but there was an aggression inside of it perhaps Mm -hmm. and and an efforting and a tension and so this unfolding approach that you're describing to me has been a huge relief in that there is this there's this deeper depth that there's a wider space that one can open into where where the there it's I'm taking my hands off in one sense you know the parts of me are taking my hands the, the parts of me that had a developmental agenda for me take the hands off and then then I'm tuning into what wants to emerge you know this intelligence and and I've, and I've exactly found that with my clients too, you know, mm-hmm. that suddenly they're like, whew, they're, they're experiencing things that they actually wanted to experience, a kind of wholeness and aliveness that, and a sense of rightness to, to what's emerging in the coaching, which, um, yeah, is, is, is just a beautiful experience and, and, and actually feels really, um, appropriate for these times you're describing these fluid times of complexity where where yeah things are changing so quickly and that there's a kind of meta competency of of um, attuning in this way where where things unfold and emerge and i can i can improve that capacity in myself and mm-hmm. um i certainly so coming back to just the, the thing about the d- developmental stuff it's like yeah it just um It, it's. I just find the same thing with me. I'm so complex that um, in one context, I might notice I'm really, I don't know, in Keegan's self, feeling very self-authored. In another context, there's a high, kind of highly socialized sense right. of self coming to the fore. In another, you know, when I know, when I started doing circling years ago, a decade over, that, that's when I really noticed self-transforming being a very strong mode there, you know, that would would kind of emerge in that context and dissolve. And it feels very fluid, but it's also really an easy way to kind of have a, arm the inner critic inside of me. That's what it's also felt like, the development. It's like an arming, an inner judgment of myself. It's creating that standard and a, a, an aggressive judgment. So that's a long answer to your Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, I I resonate with everything that you're saying here. It's like, I noticed this as well when I, you know, I used to do a lot of developmental coaching where I was making a a developmental assessment, designing developmental plans, things like that. 
And um, there did feel like a lot of pressure, pressure to get the assessment right. Um, and, and to try to make an assessment, you know, okay, it's this level, the client's at this level. And yet what you're saying is at the same time, I know that, you know, on different days, I, you know, I meet the client, they seem at different levels. They talk to me about, you know, going home for the holidays and wow, they, the stories they tell there really, really portray a, you know, different level of development. And so you could tell the situation is more complex than, than that. And then to try to, to say, okay, well, they're here. I want to get them there. How do we close the gap? How do we, how do we actually do that? To be able to design that, how do you design that? How do you design that development? I mean, anything that you're going to do isn't really a design. It's an experiment at best. You're going to try this. You're going to try that. Maybe you have some ideas about what might be missing something that, that might be helpful, but it's a huge undertaking to develop yourself to be able to do that. And what I'm finding is that when you, when you uh, in this cultural shift that we're in into fluid differences, where the best laid plans are being foiled very quickly. I mean, we know that we've known this for a long time in knowledge work, for example. You know, um, if you look at, if you look at, let's say the agile project management world, you know, and the agile methodologies for organizing things have really, really spread uh, over the last 20, 25 years. And, you know, they, they know well in that world that all of that effort to plan things when it comes to knowledge work is very often a waste because you, you know, you spend months planning and then you get the, you get into doing the work and a week into the work, the way it's unfolded has completely obsoleted your plan. And now you're back to replanning again. And after doing this enough times, and I saw this in my you know, former career in the software world, so doing this enough times, people realize, hang on a minute, we're spending all this time planning, but we keep throwing the plans away. Like That's wasted time. So how can we minimize that and instead have a, you know, lean more into experiments, lean more into doing things and learning, right? And this is what, what is generally you know, proven out um, from, uh, you know, complexity science and, and, uh, and the skillful way and intelligent way to move through and navigate complex systems is you don't try to stand back and observe them and get a total view of them because you can't, there is nowhere to stand to get this total view, to get this assessment. And there is no privileged position from which you can stand and design and orchestrate a strategy. There's only throwing yourself into the middle of it and engaging it full on, right? So, um, so this shift into a developmental style of coaching that is uh, more fundamentally relational and not trying to make those, not trying to stand back and get a grip on the whole, right? But instead to recognize that the actual place of leverage and, and power is in engaging in relationship and moving straight in, and there is a big relief there. There is a big relief. It's like, oh, I don't have to try to assert something on top of, of what's happening um, because that's a constant wrestling match, right? You're constantly being foiled by, by this. And, you know, how many times did I experience, you know, putting together an assessment, putting together a plan and one or two sessions into the coaching engagement, the plan was thrown out because, what was unfolding in new information was I needed to to um, to adapt to that quite naturally. You you must 
right? So, but I think it's interesting. It's like we see a strategy that is that is one of very much problem solving, close the gap, make an assessment, you know, but we see this in competency models all over the place. Okay, we have a competency model for our leaders. Let's assess them and figure out what's missing. Where are the gaps? Where are the developmental opportunities? Whatever language we want to use. Now let's close those gaps. Well, um, the, you know, the world that we're living in, is it possible to know what competencies are going to be needed next year? I would argue that, you know, when the world is relatively stable, the answer is yes. And we've lived in a kind of cultural stability of a sort for a long time. But now we're in a cultural moment of shift where actually the answer to that question is more and more, no, I don't know what competencies are going to be needed. And so what do we do in that situation, right? What do we do when, when those kinds of assessments stop being as valuable as, what they, as they once were, right? And so, yeah, we start to shift into, and I call them meta-competencies as well. We, we shift into saying, well, well, it's not so much about knowing what competency there is, but there is a certain kind of competency in engaging, engaging what direct experience, what's happening right now in the relationship. And that it, what I often find in those metacompetencies, curiously, is that rather as we develop metacompetency, rather than that competency replacing incompetence, there's actually a need to sustain a certain kind of incompetence, a certain kind of wide-eyed wonder, a kind of not knowing, like, I don't know what to do. Like, th- that needs to actually be sustained, that, that, that presence, that openness, that sensitivity needs to actually be sustained as opposed to replaced by knowing what to do, right? So, so that also really shifts things a lot, both for our, for our clients and, and for us as coaches, like how we, how we hold all of that. And I know when I speak to my students about this, most people will, you know, I see lots of heads nodding and yeah, I could really connect to this. But there's a big issue right now because they'll often say, yeah, but every time I go to sell uh, a leadership program into a, into a corporation, they all want me to use a competency model and you know, assess things and close the gap. That's the strategy that's worked before. More and more, that approach is not working. That's what's happening. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's the, the shift I feel taking place is, uh, what I described before with clients, when they start to co- be coached in this kind of way, it's like, oh, what? You mean I, I, I can drop the self-improvement improvement agenda? Yeah. <sighs> you know, and there's there's a relief. And then, you know, and then amazing things start to come out of the, right. the, the conversation. <laughs> um, and, and so could you speak a bit more to, I mean, this is a whole topic, isn't it? You know, that it is, a, it is an issue, isn't it? I know a lot of coaches feeling this, tension between really having one foot in this you know I, I don't know I don't want to call it a new paradigm but it's like that there's something broken breaking down there's a space opening up this space of fluid differences they can feel the the disturbance there but also the opportunity and the the excitement and then yet they're still really caught in this more conventional or or traditional world of solid identities where they've yeah got to train people to close the gap and develop these competencies and 
I wondered if you could speak a bit more to the certainty. You know, we, we said that word before, like it's the certainty that might start to arise in solid in in the fluid differences when we start to land there. You know, is it what? How would you describe that? We've probably been speaking about it, but how would you describe that? Yeah, so this might be a good opportunity to to just remind people because I know we've talked about this before, but remind people of the basic model of depth that, that, that we use here, because I think the, that language, having that language in the conversation can help us to talk about what another source of stability might be and might look like. So when I'm working with coaching clients, I'm relating to them just as you are, you know, as we are here right now in a relationship, in a coaching conversation, although we're not in a coaching conversation, uh, um, conversation. And um, uh, but what I'm doing is I'm relating to them in such a way that I meet them in a way that they spontaneously deepen. And really what happens even more to the point, they meet themselves in the present moment in a way that they spontaneously deepen. So what do we mean by depth? This is the big question here. So, um, so we work with a model of four different depths, the depth of parts, which is the shallowest one where we're mostly at. This is where we experience the world in terms of separation. Everything is, is categorized into, into parts, um, even ourselves. We have a, a you know, part of me that wants to leave the job, a part of me that wants to stay. And so here we do parts work. You know, um, Then as we do parts work and our parts feel seen and loved and understood and valued exactly as they are, they spontaneously relax and soften. And we drop into the depth of process where there is more of a fluid flow of felt experience. And as we follow that fluid flow of felt experience, it's not going in a random direction. It's actually going towards the realization of the experience of the embodiment of our innate wholeness and resourcefulness. So we actually follow that in the coaching conversation and that spontaneously drops us deeper into the depth of presence and absence. And the depth of presence and absence is where we land into a sense of, of our enoughness, our innate enoughness. We feel whole. We feel complete. It doesn't feel like anything missing. And we feel like we're equal to the moment, like we're here in this moment and we have the capacity to face into it. You may not know what to do. It may be very complex. There may be a certain degree of uh, parts of us might feel overwhelmed, but who we are as presence isn't overwhelmed. Who we are as presence is here um, and able to meet this, right? And then, and then as we work with presence and absence, it's, there's a kind of duality of presence and absence. There's a, a certain way in our coaching conversations that we can work with that, that actually dissolves that duality and drops us into the deepest depth of non-duality. And here we experience a, we experience a kind of non-separateness, you realize a non-separateness, which is very much the opposite of the experience at the depth of parts, which is dominated by separateness. So this model of development that we use um, is one in which as we develop stage by stage, level by level as adults, we inhabit more and more of our depth. This depth has always been here. It's here in every single moment. But the way in which we grew up uh, early in our years, the way our ego formed and developed, 
we actually, um, in a sense, forgot about this step. We forgot our uh, resourcefulness. And as we developed ego defenses and, and strategies, we wound up having a fragmented sense of self in which we frequently feel like something is missing. We feel like something is deficient. Um, we don't have what it takes. And we meet clients in that situation literally every day, right? Where clients are coming to us usually because they feel like there's something missing. And so, um, and we could take that something missing as the starting point to a self-improvement program, you know, to a self-transcending program. Let's not be this self where there's something missing. Let's be a different self. Let's be a better self. Let's be an improved self, right? And so that's the, that's been the paradigm for a long time. But what I notice, and especially in the world that we're living in, is we go about those self-improvement projects and the world we're living in is, you know, accelerating change, highly dynamic, highly complex. And guess what? Our improvement plans falter. Now, not entirely, but we stumble and we have speed bumps and we have setbacks. And very often those setbacks seem to just reinforce this sense that we don't have what it takes and something is missing. And so this whole idea here of, of recognizing that we can shift into a different way of doing developmental coaching in which it's less about being, being a better version of ourselves. And it's more about exploring what's here concretely. And as we do, we explore what's here at the depth of parts and we actually drop in, we sink in to having deeper self-contact. And as we have deeper self-contact, we start to realize that in fact, it's not that something is missing. We're already a whole human being. But what is a whole human being? Well, it turns out that as we sink into ourselves and have more contact, we make new discoveries. That we discover how much love we have, how much compassion we have, how much courage is here, how much perseverance is here. All these different kinds of qualities of presence, um, beautifully, you know, distinguished by um, by Almas in the Diamond Approach. Um, but you find these qualities of presence in all, all of the world's wisdom traditions, Buddhism and Judaism and Christianity and, and Islam, etc. Taoism, uh, yoga, they're all talking about the cultivation and the, and the embodiment of these kinds of qualities of presence that actually help us to navigate through the complexity that we, we face. So it's dropping into that depth that really gives us a new source of stability. It's not the stability of fixed structures. It's not the apparent certainty of defensive um, uh, defense mechanisms. You know, the defense mechanism is, is trying to generate a certainty. The certainty is that you're not going to get hurt. You know, if you put up a wall, nobody can, nobody, you know, nobody can, uh, you'll never feel rejected, for example, something like that. But what we're seeing is that that apparent solidity, that apparent stability, security, certainty has always been brittle. When the world isn't changing and the world is relatively stable, that brittleness is hidden. In the world that we're living in right now, with all of this change and dynamism and complexity, that brittleness is being revealed because those strategies aren't working anymore. And so what we need is actually a style of coaching that skillfully works with those defenses 
um, in a way that actually allows us to drop into deeper contact and drop into a depth of contact at the depth of presence and even at the depth of non-duality in which we land into a sense of a different source of certainty, a different source of stability. Um, uh, and, and here at this depth, one that isn't fragmenting, but is, is instead integrating. And I think that's the big shift. We're living in a, in a world that maybe we could all agree is a very fragmented world, you know, and that's because we're living at this shallow depth where things are just experienced in there as fragmented, as separate. We're not experiencing the world or ourselves, our relationships from a deeper depth in which there is a, sen a deeper sense of integration that we can land into. But we can't land into that deeper sense by trying to get away from who we are, by trying to not be deficient and trying to be a better improved version of ourselves. That move itself is fragmenting. That move itself is, is, is actually moving in, in a direction that's not working anymore, right? So we have to shift our strategy of developmental coaching entirely into one that actually starts where we are instead of trying to be somewhere else, starts where we are and actually explores it. Like, what is the sense that something is missing? How do you feel that? How do you feel that in your body? How does it feel emotionally? What's here? And we start to get concretely in contact with what's here instead of what's not here. And as we do that, it unfolds and we unfold deeper self-contact and we land into to this. And it's, it is, it's relieving you know, because we don't need to be somebody else. The question is, who are we right here? And we can just explore that. We don't need to get somewhere else, right? So there is a relief in that. And, but there's also something really pragmatic about that because what we're exploring is we're exploring what's happening in the context of our life, the life that we're struggling with or challenged by or trying to navigate. Um, so it's very tangible, very palpable, very concrete, not abstract, right? And, um, and it provides this a, a pathway to deal with complexity, the complexity, these fluid differences without ever feeling like we, we're the master of it. We can't, we, we can't control it. We can't grab it. Um, we can navigate it, right? Um, and we can navigate it skillfully, but, but we're not, we're not, um, transcending it and mastering it and being on on top of it and dominating it and all of that is what we were pretending to be back in solid identities mm. and that's not working anymore and that's what's happening in the world is yanking the rug out from under us more and more every single day and we're seeing that that's not working so what's the alternative we have to sh we have to make this shift mm. Yeah, yeah. So much in what you said really exquisitely explained there, Steve. And um, yeah, I really appreciate this kind of inclusive attitude that you're describing, you know, being being where we are, being with what's here in a way that uh, allows it to begin to, to unfold, you know, some a part begins to, to melt and, and freeze and unfold. And you know, I've said this before, but it's worth saying again, because in the coaching community, we talk a lot about wholeness. And I, I, I always felt like you were already whole, you were already kind of perfect in inverted commas as we are. But 
it often felt like there was some kind of an espousal in that, but this depth of presence that you're describing for me, landing inside of that and feeling feeling a felt sense of wholeness, for me was remarkable. And with clients too, you know, where they're like, oh my God, this is what I was looking for. I just didn't know it, you right. know? And, and the sense of... Um, how that could shift things if that was to, if I feel like we're in a dojo, you know, if people on a collective level would be able to start to experience that, the, that, that path we're describing a pathless path perhaps, but, mm. um, and so, so what, I guess what, there's a few things bubbling up. One is like, so it sounds like, yeah, this from the depth of parts to the depth of process in particular is maps onto solid identities and fluid differences in some way. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious how you see that and um you know I'd, I'd love to bring in something you mentioned i was reading you you wrote like um identity is in, is defined in terms of difference and um whereas in the depth of parts i think it's I, I, um identity is primary yeah i mean maybe i'm not saying that quite clearly but i think you know what i'm yeah, yeah, I can, I can, yeah. I can talk about that. So, so yeah, just to, to to back up to the first thing that you said. So we have this model of four depths, and as we develop as adults, there's a deeper and deeper self contact, a deeper and deeper way we inhabit ourselves. And of course, it's nonlinear. So you know, all of that context that we offered earlier still applies, but we can still talk in these terms in a useful way. Um, what we're noticing here in terms of development, in terms of the seven phases and this big cultural shift that we keep referring to from solid identities to fluid differences is in solid identities, we're at a level of development where we're really centered at the depth of parts and anything below that is, is we're essentially blind to it. So we're trying to live. And so we're at the depth of parts. We don't even know. We don't have that language. We just naturally see things as separate, us versus them. Um, You know, it makes sense to centralize power. These kinds of different strategies are just innate in in that phase of just that perspective of the world. This cultural shift that we're into fluid differences can be understood in terms of depth because what's actually happening and what's predicted by by this model is that as the culture develops, the culture also starts to inhabit more of the depth of process. The depth of process is this fluid flow of felt experience. So there is more of a fluidity to experience. You see this happening with, you know, there's, um, you know, uh, much more, um, you know, questions, for example, about, about uh, gender identification, you know, gender fluidity is, um, is uh, a conversation now in the culture. Um, we're starting to see ourselves even as we as we reflect, not so much as a singular sort of, um, you know, a, a, a singular person, but we now recognize ourselves as having a multitude inside of us. You know, we have a lot of different parts and even, even the distinctions of parts and working with parts work helps us to begin to wrestle with this kind of fluidity and naturally leads us into a a more fluid sense of ourselves and a more fluid sense of relationships and whatnot. So that's what's predicted by the model. And what you can see is as the culture moves more in this fluid direction, um, how the elements of the culture that are still in solid identities 
are seeing their power getting um, their power, their po positions of power, that power is being diminished. They're kicking back. This is what's happening on the cultural um, lens. You know, a lot of the culture war is getting kicked up around exactly this. Right. Um, uh, so, you know, it's a huge conversation we could have about that, but the second thing that you brought here is that one way we can look at this in terms of identity and difference is that at the depth of parts, um, identity is primary. So I'm Steven, you're Joel. That's primary. That's, that, that's first. And then we can say, and then there's a difference between us. That's defined in terms of that, in, in terms of those identities, right? And, you know, I say this, it sounds obvious because this is the usual way we think of it. You know, A and A is A and B. Well, A is A and B is B, and that's why they're different, right? Because they are, they have different identities. So identity and difference is usually thought of and experienced in that kind of way. Um, nothing new here. This is just the view we've been in for a long time. But when we shift into the depth of process and when we shift into fluid differences, difference becomes primary. First, we experience difference, but here we have to be very careful because we're not meaning the same thing by the word difference that we did previously. Because there, difference was defined in terms of identity, and here, difference is primary. There is no identity yet. So what we're experiencing is this effulgence of this texture and this richness. And we're starting to see like, that's actually the primary thing going on in here. And identity emerges from difference, almost like a, a moment of difference that gets frozen for a transient period of time. And then it, and then it melts away and returns to the sea of difference. And so we're seeing identities, micro identities, this whole view of I can be this way in this relationship and this in this other way in that other relationship. Who am I? Am I this or that? Well, I'm neither. I'm both. Right? So there is this differencing. And we're seeing this in various, various movements in the culture. And by the way, I think it's a really healthy thing. Because in solid identities, there was us and them. That's a setup for war. That's a setup for all kinds of, of, of issues. And we're experiencing that in the culture. The, you know, we're experiencing the deadlock of those kinds of, uh, of identities. You know, when we position ourselves against each other, well, one way of resolving that, one way of melting all of those polarities and all those, all those, all those arguments and, and whatnot is to recognize that actually what's happening here is the sea of difference. This, this texture of living um, that's unfolding. And yes, there are moments of it that, that pop out and are frozen and frozen for a brief period of time that let us say that, but very quickly it, it goes away and it goes back into what is very dynamic, very complex, very emergent, very much unfolding. So there's a new way we have to understand ourselves to be able to feel um, natives and, and to, to consciously inhabit this world of, fl of fluid differences. And what I do tend to see is that there are historically marginalized populations, um, uh, whether they're racially, they've been marginalized around race or 
gender identification or or sexual um, identification or or um, a variety of different things culturally po- possibly marginalized those peoples in those marginalized populations have uh, kind of seen um, this you know this solid identities thing and how it works out and not had positions of power in that not been central in that have been marginalized and devalued they tend to be more uh, more ahead of the curve developmentally because they're already they're already in fluid differences is what I'm what I'm actually noticing there or they're uh, if they can stop fighting the system, they tend to already be in that fluid uh, fluid differences. They'll flow straight into that, and so they're a they're a subculture um, that is um, that is uh, plowing new territory here. So um, the philosophers Timothy Morton and Dominic Boyer wrote a really thin book. I forget when it came out. Maybe within the last year or two, um, called Hypo Subjects. And this is exactly what they're exploring there in that they're exploring this different way of being and different way of knowing what it is to be human that has this, that has differencing as, as, as the primary experience, as opposed to solid identities. I'm this, I'm that, et cetera. Right. So that's um, it's, it's a little bit of a mind bender to think of, to think of difference being the first thing that that we yeah. encounter, an identity being this this micro this transient micro identity, but that's actually the world that we're in. And I think if we take that perspective and look back, we'll realize it's always been that way. But we were pretending the identities had more stability than they actually have, and right. because the world wasn't that cha- wasn't as challenging as it is now, pretending in that way kind of sort of worked. That was okay. But now, and increasingly more and more, trying to pretend uh, that we're that is failing. And it's it's nudging us, calling us into a more dynamic sense of of what it is to be human. Um, And that's so what I've been reflecting on is what does that mean for us as coaches? Right? How do we meet our clients in this in this mode? And how do we before you go into that, Steve? Yeah, um, I want to. I how does that show up for you? Could you give us an example of like this? How differencing shows up in your life, or you see it in others' life as um, something that's primary over identity? Yeah. So I think I think we all experience this if we slow down enough to really to really drop in and feel it, which is that. Um, when you drop in and feel uh, feel yourself in the in the present moment, you drop into your body. You notice your felt sense. What's the sense of you? And what we notice is that day to day it fluctuates, hour to hour it fluctuates, moment to moment it fluctuates. In this conversation that we've been having, in some moments it's it's like you know, in some moments I feel there's a self here that knows something. In other moments there's a self here that's feeling a little bit shaky, a little bit uncertain. Like hmm, I don't know you know, there's this dynamic uh, shifting. And so, but a lot of times we don't bother to um, pause, to slow down, to drop in, to sense, to notice that. And instead we, we live a little bit of a, a distance away from ourselves, a little bit out of contact with ourselves in a sense of self that we believe prevails, like the, the view that, you know, 
that I'm Steve and I'm the same Steve that was born 51 years ago. Right. And I've always been Steve and I will always be Steve. Right now on a certain level, that's true, but on a, in a lived experience, that's really far from what's true. Right. So, so a lot of this is actually, this is why it's important to work with your clients in the lived reality of the present moment. What are you feeling? What are you sensing? Who's here right now? Right. And sometimes the, the answer is, I don't know who's here right now. Right. And it's like, okay, yeah. What's that like? What's it like not to know right now? What's it like not to know, uh, uh, not to know yet what you're really feeling about this or what's it like to feel mixed emotions, right? So, you know, you could, as we're exploring something, what's it feel like to be here in this one? Well, there's this feeling and that feeling, and there's that feeling. And actually now that, you know, if I start to feel them all together, they, there's this other feeling that emerges. And so this is, this is differencing. Differencing is a verb, right? This is, this is like, you know, the shifting from solid identities to fluid differences is like shifting from a, from a noun self to a verb self. Like, but instead so, so the noun persists. Okay. That's, we could still talk, we could still say it persists to some extent, but where all the action is, is in the verb where all the action is, is in what are you really feeling in this situation? How are you, how are you sensing it and how are you navigating it? Right. So, um, so I think that's actually how it, how it, it is. And it's not just here for some of us, it's here for all of us if we actually slow down and sense in. And I'm curious, it's really helpful. And I want to expand on how this is relevant for us as coaches. Uh, I, yeah, I was basically sort of remembering or feeling how um, in my own life, in certainly in community or, or actually I think it tends to happen in relationship more often it's like being in that kind of space one can like drop into a kind of almost like a flow state where you're plugged in to that that sensing difference or sensing experience as it's emerging in the moment in a way that it can include what's here without that being threatening you know, so it almost becomes like very, uh, very fulfilling. It's a deeply fulfilling experience because I like what you said before. It's like if if I'm in that place of identity, solid identity for myself, it can feel safe, but it's kind of rigid and and uh, there's a, there's something there's a kind of lifelessness to it. It's kind of en- encased. The life has been encased inside of something, and so. This experience I'm describing is really different. And, you know, that's where I might also feel like I want to put on my pink hat, for example. I've got this pink hat that I've started wearing, which, um, you know, it, it it sounds a bit glib, but it's like I just a while ago, I was like, yeah, I'm just I really like that pink hat. I'm just going to wear it out. It's kind of ridiculous looking hat, but mm-hmm. uh, there's something that it brings alive inside of me when I when I walk around and wear it and um I don't know if that fits for this, what we're talking about, but yeah, I'm just curious. I'm just curious if this sort of speaks into this differencing experience you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, if, if you look at it, like, you know, at the depth of parts, 
solid identities. What we have are protector parts. We have defenses, and they're trying to create a certain sense of security. But you're spot on that that if we really pay attention, what we can notice inside of those is that there's always fear. There's always a sensitivity, uh, um, a, a hypervigilance towards threats, um, because that sense of security is actually somewhat brittle. And even though there are defenses and we all have them, in spite of in spite of having protector parts and having defenses, we still feel hurt, right? We still get hurt. So there's this sense of trying to protect ourselves, but knowing it's not really, it's not really workable. And so that whole strategy is what's being what's under pressure right now in this moment of cultural shift. And so the good news is, is that we can actually deepen in contact. Those defenses, one of the things you could say about defenses in general, and there are many different kinds of defenses, but in general, they all have their own way of keeping us out of contact with ourselves. That's actually how they try to help us not feel hurt. If you're not in contact with yourself, you can't feel. And if you can't feel, you can't feel hurt. So the basic strategy of those defenses is don't have contact, right? What we're doing in, in uh, this kind of self-unfolding approach is, is to say, well, let's go for contact. Let's actually first have contact with those defenses and show them, demonstrate to them what the experience of contact might even be like. And what they find is actually they usually really like it, right? They re- really like contact and they give in to contact. They relax in contact and they give us in that relaxation, they give us more contact with ourselves. And what we find is we have more contact, we drop down in depth, and we actually discover that at, at a deeper depth, there's a source of resiliency in being able to feel ourselves, to feel our bodies, to feel our emotions, um, to contact each other in a way that actually helps us to navigate through the complexity that we're in, right? So, and so instead of landing into a place where we just wind up feeling undefended and vulnerable. What we do is we wind up landing into a place where we have more contact, more connection, deeper relationships, and more embodiment of our innate resourcefulness. Now, yes, it's also true. We're more sensitive there. And so we feel more. Do we feel hurt sometimes? Yeah, we do. But here's what we learn. We learn that, in fact, there's an us that that is loving and compassionate endlessly that can actually be with the parts of us that are hurting. And that, that us that is loving, endlessly loving and compassionate is presence and presence itself can't be hurt. Presence itself can't, can't be harmed, you know? So there it's like opening up to um, a depth of us, a depth of resourcefulness, that actually helps us to navigate the inevitable bumps on the road um, as we navigate the complexity of life. But we have what it takes already to be able to do that. But most of us are living in the interpretation that we lack that, not because we genuinely lack it, but instead because we're actually out of of self-contact. We don't have much self-contact. And so we're living with this superficial sense of ourselves. And in that superficial sense of ourselves, invariably, we feel deficient. So the whole, the whole question here, I know 
you know, when I was originally trained as a coach, I was trained to sit in the question, what is missing? You know, I would listen to the client in an intake, try to get to know, to know them. And I would be thinking, what is missing here? 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 Right. And if, of course, the hope was that if I could pinpoint what is missing, I could help them to develop that. Right. But, um, but that keeps us locked into this superficial, the superficial um, level of, of understanding our clients and feeling and understanding ourselves. The alternative to that, and I, I sometimes like to provocatively ask in Aletheia coaching, what if nothing is missing? I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying, what if? And the only way to know is to check it out. So what that question is, is it's a provocation to actually go and look, sense, feel what's here. So instead of trying to look for what's not here, what's missing, we instead ask, well, what is here? And what is here is concrete, palpable, tangible. What are you feeling? What are you sensing? Let's start here instead of trying to imagine what's not here and then try to figure out how do we get what's not here to be here, right? That's the whole problem-solving, self-improving style. Instead, we just sit, simply focus on what, what is, what is here. And what we find is what, it, what is here is always more than we assume, more than we knew. And we find that, that is, it's endlessly more because more and more can unfold as we learn to actually meet what's here and drop into deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper contact. And even inside of these depths, each depth is like an entire realm. It's an entire dimension of being. And so there's so much at each depth to explore. There's more and more and more and more, not only more depth, more levels of depth, but more in each depth. And so this unfolding of the totality of us, the unfolding of our wholeness is endless in that way. And what happens is that as we engage life, as we engage the challenges that we're facing, what unfolds helps us to meet that challenge, to face that challenge, right? But this is a very dynamic view of ourselves. It's not the view at solid identities, right? And I think that's the whole idea is, is shifting into this more real-time uh, engaged way of working with clients um, is really being called for in these times because those, those self-transcending moves that trying to not be the deficient self, but be a different self, transcend that deficiency and be a different self. That, that transcending move, which makes sense in solid identities, uh, is broken now. It's not working in the same way. Yet that doesn't mean development development is is lost there is still development but it's it's a development that that requires a different strategy a different approach how can i put this question it's like you're, you're already talking about it but what the so this is where language becomes really interesting because it's like i want to say like what's the goal what's the goal of the approach or what's the what's the end game of the approach but in a way you know that that's that language is speaking in, in terms of, of like um, a fixed place. You know, that mm-hmm. there's perhaps a fixed identity that that one reaches. You know, where you've mastered this, or um, yeah, yeah. And and so, 
I'm just and, and and even the idea of depths, it's like they can become quite easily usurped or or, or taken by this like developmental self that wants to transcend. You know, it's like oh, deeper right. depths are better. Yeah, so right. we're gonna like sneakily, we'll drop this whole like linear ascending development higher stages but we'll call it depth so that now deeper is better so Mm -hmm. i guess i'm curious if you could speak into yeah what like where the kind of where one might land which then um is the place that allows one to remain fluid or open and, and and attuned and responsive you know like could you speak into that yeah, and I think you're you're once again really spot on with this. So, like, if you take if you take like a linear developmental model, that's very easily um, interpreted in the context of self improvement into well, this you know a higher level of development or a deeper level of de- de- development, whatever your metaphor is, is somehow better. And so, I'm if I'm here, I want to get there, right? Very easy to to adopt that into a self improvement. Um, mentality. And so there's a kind of hijacking there that, 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 that that's happening of, of a basic concept. The same hijacking can happen with this, this ontology of depth, that somehow the idea is to get to a deeper depth, the deeper depths are better. And you have to be uh, sensitive and aware of that. And what hijacks that, what actually forms that interpretation is a part and a part will have a certain kind of strategy of trying to manage and control a situation. And so curiously, what happens is that parts say, oh, deeper is better, let's do that. But because that activity is being driven by a part, it actually ironically shackles you at a shallow depth. So so that whole strategy, although it's well-intended, the part's trying to maybe help you or protect you, you know, when parts learn about the kind of deep uh, certainty and um, and a sense of ultimate secure base that uh, that you know one can feel at the depth of non-duality, oftentimes they go, "Hey, that sounds really good. I, I'm done with this, you know, messy emotional life. I want to go for that. I want that." And we all know this is spiritual bypass, right? This is like trying to to go for something that the part says, "Hey, that sounds like a really good way to." not feel hurt, right? Freedom from suffering. Sounds good to me. I Sign me up, right? And so, but the irony is, even though there is freedom from suffering, you can't get there from a part-driven strategy. The, but because the part-driven strategy itself will shackle you at the depth of parts. So, so you have to, you have to work with this in a savvy way. And um, the way that we do it in, in Aletheia is recognizing that when we work with parts, they're trying to control things, manage things with good intention. We relate to them in such a way that those good intentions are, are seen and understood in value. We love them for their good intentions. Um, and when those parts feel seen in that way, they typically relax. They relax, they melt, they soften. And in that, in that letting go, we actually spontaneously drop. So the unfolding, the, the deepening that happens is never the outcome of, of trying to deepen. It's actually spontaneous. It's, it's nothing that the coach can take responsibility for. 
or, or ownership for, and it's nothing the client can take responsibility and ownership for, or a part of them can take responsibility and ownership for. It's really a getting out of the way. So the method is one of, of how, how do we actually help these parts to relax? And then we, we stay in contact with what unfolds as a result of that. And there are, you know, kind of like road signs along the way that we can say, oh, what's unfolding now is some process phenomena. And we have a particular skillful way of being with that. But that way of being with that is being with it from presence where we're simply open to it exactly as it is, not trying to control or direct it, right? Because if we try to control or direct it, now suddenly that's a part agenda that comes back in and is going to pull us back up into the surface, back out of contact with what's really happening. So it's the way I look at it is that um, we create the conditions for unfoldment in coaching. And when the conditions are there, unfolding happens spontaneously and naturally. It's a natural process. It's a process of living, right? Mm -hmm. We don't do unfoldment. We don't practice unfoldment. Um, we can't take responsibility for unfoldment. We can't direct unfoldment. We can understand what thwarts unfoldment and learn how to skillfully work with that and relax that. That's where most of the work is, is seeing what's in the way. Where do we have our foot on the, the brake pedal, so to speak? You know, we have our foot on the brake pedal because there's a part of us that's really scared to feel and to sense what's really happening right now. So if we have a way of working with that skillfully and we that part can take its foot off the brake pedal, then we can move into feeling and sensing and allow this dynamic unfolding process that takes us towards a realization of our wholeness to just spontaneously happen. So a lot of the coaches in, in our, um, that, that work with our methodology will frequently report back, this feels so effortless. I feel like I'm not doing anything. And it really is true. It's because as soon as you help the client to take their foot off the brake pedal, you are not doing anything. It's just kind of flowing. And this is a little bit of the relief that you were talking about earlier as well. It's like, I don't have to be responsible for um, to make this happen and to get this to, to land in a particular place. Because what happens is when we're working in the present moment, where we land always has relevancy and usefulness to what's happening in the client's life. Because we're dealing with exactly what's happening in their life. We're not, we're not having a side conversation. We're talking about and exploring what's really here, what's happening in your relationships or at work or whatnot. So where we land and unfold to always has has relevancy and value for the client in their life, hmm. right? We don't have to land it somewhere in particular. And so really, I think what happens is as a kind of, if you could call it kind of where this goes in general, is that the more the more you shift and develop into this orientation, the more you just develop an, develop an unfolding way of being. And so you can see consciously when those breaks get applied, um, and we all have them, right? Uh, when something stops that, and then we have a skillful way of working with that that just sort of opens it back up again and allows uh, unfolding to happen. So more and more, you start to trust unfoldment. You start to trust that, the kind of change that's unfolding, that that will help you navigate the complexity of your life. 
right, without ever being in control of it. And that's the strategy that's more called for in fluid differences and in deeper stages of development as well uh, beyond that. This idea that we can be in control, that we can dominate, that we can manage. Um, this, by the way, is what um, Morton and Boyer call being a hyper subject, right? So a hyper subject is dominating and controlling and, you know, solid and I'm this and it's, there's an orientation towards self-transcendence, always being better, uh, uh, op always optimizing life, always, you know, and we see threads of this in the culture, right? It's, uh, it's all over the place. Yet those strategies more and more are, we're struggling with them. They're not working out. And I think if we're really truthful with ourselves, they never really worked out as well as we thought they did. So this is a, this is a, this moving forward is really an embrace of what's always been real, but it's a deeper embrace of this and instead of a marginalizing. So in solid identities, we marginalize differences. Differences are threatening. And we see that writ large in the culture, right? There's, we have monocultures, and if there's, a, if, if there's a subculture that's a little bit different, they get pushed out, right? They get marginalized. What's beginning to happen culturally is that those historically marginalized populations are coming more into the center of the conversation. That's a good thing. Yeah, I, I think, is it, of course, it's a great thing. And, and yet, you know, like the culture wars, it seems like there are, you know, kind of... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, uh, well, extreme, like ex sort of hardcore polarizations taking place with, you know, for example, like um, gender identity, you know, you know, where, where um, they, there's certainly, I don't know if there's people within those communities or supporters of those communities that are quite verbal in their, you know, attacks of anyone who might feel differently than the prevailing gender narrative, you know, that's that's um, that's that's given the okay by those groups. So yeah, it, it's yeah, I, like I, but because I, I like the idea that we're becoming more fluid and free. I look, I look at my stepson and the way he relates to himself is just, you know, you can just see it. He's just much more open and 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 fluid around all types of his um, sense of identity. Mm -hmm. And and so I can see the good side of it, but I also see this polarization that's here in culture right now. These culture wars that are taking place. So well, that's the backlash. The backlash yeah. that's happening is that is that there is more. There's a bigger and bigger subculture of people who are inhabiting this phase of fluid identities and I or fluid differences. Excuse me. And I agree with you. The younger generation is is one of those. As I as I. Uh, look at, you know, um, nieces and nephews of mine as they're uh, navigating some of this, I see the same kind of thing. Um, what's happening is that power in solid identities, power is centralized. In fluid differences, power is becoming more relational and decentralized as opposed to centralized and positional. And so what's happening is, you know, these days you have CEOs of multinational organizations who are in positions of great power in theory, and yet how many of them have had their Monday morning plans, they show up at work Monday morning, and some social media influencer has said something on some social media platform about their product or their service or something, and has created a huge firestorm, and they have to throw out their entire plans for the week and deal with that public relations disaster. Who has power here, right? 
does I'm guarantee you that CEO doesn't feel like they have power, right? And so, but who is this social media influencer? I mean, uh, you know, they're in the structure of the organization. They're no one. They're just out. They're just a member of the public. Man, maybe they have millions of followers or something like that. But you can see that power is really shifting in this cultural cultural shift. So, what happens is you have people who are vested in in the institutions uh, that 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 really controlled and dominated uh, life in the phase of solid identities, culturally speaking, and they're kicking back. There's, there's this, there's this, uh, this backlash against this. And oftentimes the way that they kick back is in some kind of more extreme form. And so what you have, you know, you now, you, you see these extremes in politics, especially right now. Right. And this, this, this sort of like extreme form of, liberalism and conservatism it's right that was the word i was looking for yeah yeah right so i've left yeah right so you see right but you see all of that and and that's it's like the the death throes of 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 a subculture uh, in solid identities that is it's almost like they're seeing that their way is failing and so instead of developing what they do is they double down they double down on their way they say ah our way is failing because we're not doing it hard enough. We're not putting enough force into it. We're not, we're not dominating enough. We're not controlling enough. We have to do it harder, better, faster. And what, of course, that creates is it creates and exacerbates the polar polarities that have or polarizations that have already been there in the culture. And now they're coming out. Well, what happens when you have extreme polarization is you also have brittleness. So things are breaking more. So we, you know, so it's, so the old ways, it's not a matter of saying, well, it's just not working because we got lazy. We need to do it harder. It's, it's not working. And even doing it harder is actually not making the situation better. It's actually moving us even further towards breakage. Right. And so that, that's going to happen. Right. And so we, we see the backlash and we're going to continue to see the breakage. So, and we see this in our coaching clients as well, that when parts start to fail, many times they'll double down on their strategy. When a defense mechanism starts to fail, many times there's this habitual move towards doing it harder, right? I mean, you see this like, you know, maybe simple, but, but a frequent example of somebody who's trying to um, make a change in life, adopt a new lifestyle, a new practice. And they try it with some discipline, but they fail. What do they usually conclude? I need to have more discipline. It's like, okay, I need to have more discipline. So then they do it harder and then they fail. What do they conclude? I need to have even more discipline. And, but notice, notice that the whole thing, what they're really trying to do is they're trying to address some deficiency, right? But where they, where, where they keep winding up is I'm not, I'm, I'm deficient. I don't have what it takes. I need to mm. do it more. So, so that whole pattern of wrestling away, wrestling yourself away from deficiency, that's the way things work in solid identities, right? So this, there's so much that's breaking about that in the culture. We see it on the individual level. We see it on the societal level. It's a call for a different approach to all of this, right? And curiously, it's approach, it's an approach that's not about having more control, dominating more you know, problem solving better, not to say that problem solving needs to be thrown out, 
They're problems, we can solve them. But there's a lot of things that aren't problems that don't have the nature of, of being solvable, that more are complex messes. And they're going to be complex messes because that's their nature, not because that's just a moment in time. That's just a, a, a an expression of something wrong, you know? And so how do we learn to navigate those complex messes? Well, well, those complex messes are producing different experiences moment by moment by moment. And we have to shift into that as opposed to being on top of it, trying to dominate, to control, right? So the whole thing is calling us into this different way of being. And the amazing thing, I think, is that it's actually, called, it's actually showing us that there is a different way of being human that's needed in these times. Not just a different, a different politics or you know, a different way of, of uh, uh, a different kind of job or a different even coaching methodology. No, it's a different way of being human that's being called for. Right. Yeah, we're seeing it in all different types of uh, fields. Yeah, like you, you put me onto Pablo, es- uh, Pablo, um, Arturo Escobar's. Arturo Escobar, yeah. Uh, Pablo Escobar is a very different. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> different world <laughs> but you know yeah his his writing about decolonizing uh the mono kind of uh theist the mono kind of um field of design which has emerged out of europe and you know having a pluriverse of design is a great yeah. example i think exactly yeah so so arturo's uh arturo escobar's book uh, designs for the pluriverse I think what he's talking about is very much seeing this world, seeing this cultural shift that we're in into fluid differences and recognizing that instead of needing the the sort of monoculture that sort of dominates and has a hegemony, which is very much solid identities kind of perspective, um, that what we actually need is a pluriversal world. We need a world in which many worlds are possible and valued, right? And what we've been in has been, you know, this kind of monoculture coming largely out of the West, well, largely out of Europe, but the United States has certainly been a big part of it. And there's been an attempt to sort of export that monoculture to everyone. And, you know, you know, we've even had terms like the developed world and the developing world. And the developed world is trying to export a certain uh, economic system, a political system, a etc industry etc to the developing world and that's colonizing you know and and um but what's also happening is those indigenous perspectives are being um devalued and marginalized mm-hmm. right so all of that is how the world looks in the phase of solid identities but what we're seeing is that monoculture and we see it literally with monocultured crops they become brittle they become um their immune systems don't work. They become susceptible to blight and various things like that. Um, it's not a robust, it's not a robust way, right? To, to have that kind of monoculture. So that is part of this big shift. This big shift is into a pluriversal universe, you know, a, a, a universe in which differencing, ongoing differencing, differencing, differencing is really at the center of life. And that shifts how we know ourselves, that shifts how we know each other, that shifts our sense of our career, our job. We see this, people are having, you know, three and four and five careers in a lifetime. Mm. Right? It's just, it's yet another example of this, 
of this shifting sands that we're in. We're reinventing ourselves. We're, we're discovering more about ourselves and bringing that forward. So this does have big implications for us as coaches, because I think that one of the things we do as coaches is we help our clients to develop a different way of being human. Right. And that's exactly what's being called for in these times, which is what, one of the reasons I'm so excited about, you know, the kind of work that you do and the kind of work that we all do as coaches, because it really feels to me like we're in a cultural moment that calls for this kind of support. Mm. Right. But I think we also have to be careful because there are kinds of coaching and styles of coaching methodologies that are a little bit more from the perspective of solid identities and more, more, just they take that perspective and they're still going to be useful. I'm not saying they're useless, but their usefulness is going to become more and more limited. And there is a call for a different, sh a, a shift into a different perspective um, that uh, of the kind that we've been exploring here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I think this is, I'm aware of the time and I think this is a great place to close because that's why I want to share this conversation with our community. With that's why I want people to know about it because it it contextualizes and recontextualizes the work that we're doing, and and that um, yeah, you know, if we don't see the paradigms that we're operating within as a coach, then we're just going to coach within those paradigms, and all around us, those paradigms are being broken open right now and and there's something disturbing about that but there's something incredibly thrilling so yeah i think it behooves us as coaches to to do to do that work ourselves and part of that work is to to expand our where we're sourcing what it is to be human what it is to be human in this path of unfolding what it is to be a coach coaching somebody and so that's why I really appreciate what you're bringing, Steve, and this conversation today, because that's what it's doing for me is it's, mm. you know, it's inviting us to to reimagine, recontextualize what this work is and the journey is. So yeah. and I, I actually want to so thank you. And I want to make sure we um, link to your work so people can find what you're up to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll include a link in wherever you wherever you publish this and. And I've written an article, which we can include a link to as well, that that talks about and gives some examples of of working in this style. But um, yeah, I mean, working in this style is 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 uh, is opening ourselves. Um, for many coaches, it's it feels like letting go, letting go of control, and that can feel a little anxiety provoking initially, as well for our clients. So there is a need to come together in community to uh, support each other to learn some uh, some of these. Uh, road signs and have some skillful means to work with this, even though none of that gives you an answer. It's more like a way of moving through this, but that's actually what's called for. So, mm. and where can where's, what's your the the URL of your website? So my website is integralunfoldment.com, and um, and there you can see we run a, we run an advanced coach training program levels one through four, and then we have a kind of uh, a coaching applied track, um, which applies coaching the methodology to things like leadership and self-care. Um, we're, we're actually really excited to be uh, launching something that's applying the principles of Aletheia coaching to parenting. 
so that parents have some benefit and some orientation to how to create contexts in which their children thrive and unfold. Um, so we're beginning to apply this in a lot of different a lot of different areas. Um, and our next level one cohort launches in July. So I recommend people check that out. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Joel. Always great to to talk with you and to explore some of these uh, some of these things and what's happening in the world. Just a, a heads up again, if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time. <laughs>